Yes, you are in the right place. You are listening to the Radical Reverend. Where else would you be? And your host, Sherry DeNovo, here at and very live at CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, you probably don't know this, but it is World Autism Awareness Month, and we're going to talk about neuro, neurodivergent difference today. There's, that's a mouthful. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, what it's like to to live on the spectrum, what it's like to be a parent, and what we should be doing and we're not doing. Um, all about autism today on the Radical Reverend Show. And by the way, uh, a little later, we'll certainly invite your comments. But for now, I've got one very live expert in the room, Curtis uh, Jordan. And Curtis is the first elected person in Canada with autism, uh, social justice activist forever, and he is now by landslide victory, the trustee at Upper Canada District School Board. Uh, on the line, and we're going to talk to her in just a second, is Kathy Corrali Verrett. Um, she's a parent of a child with autism, a board member of the Ontario Autism Coalition, and an activist in her own right. Kathy, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. So, uh, first of all, tell me about your own experience. Uh, you're a parent of a child with autism. What's that been like? Uh, it's not been easy. And I just want to correct you. I'm actually not a board member, but I am on the Political Action Committee of the Ontario ah, Autism Coalition. Okay. Thank you for that. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, no worries. And I'm also on the um, Education Working Group. Uh, so, just so I... My credentials aren't, uh, I don't necessarily speak for the organization, but I work for the organization, or volunteer, I should say. Duly noted, duly noted. Yeah. So, tell me about your experience. Um, I guess, from the very beginning, you know, your child is like two, three years old, you notice, you know, they're not developing properly, um, or they're missing milestones, so... Uh, for, for me personally, it was our daycare that suggested that uh, we, we get our son tested. And then um, with that comes challenges. We were uh, fortunate enough to be able to uh, pay for a diagnosis right away. So we didn't have to sit on a wait list for a year or two to get the diagnosis. Um, and then, and that puts a lot of strain on your relationship because your child isn't developing and you're um, life gets difficult and, you know, as you're trying to figure out what to do, what the right course of action is, uh, you encounter, you know, professionals that are like, this is what we need to do. They make a plan for you. They say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put you in speech language therapy. We're going to put you in, um, OT, occupational therapy, and then we're going to put you in some food therapy because my son wasn't eating. So that was kind of a component of OT. And then we had behavioral issues because we were uh, a very aggressive two-year-old. So all of that really um, puts a strain on the relationship, puts a strain on your life, adds complications that you didn't necessarily see was coming. Um, and as you learn more, you get lots of information coming from different places, and it's hard to figure out what to do. Um, the lucky thing is, is I had a background working in the education system, 
as a school secretary, and my now ex-husband had an, uh, worked in healthcare um, as a cognitive behavior psychotherapist. So he was able to navigate the healthcare side of things, and I'm I've been able to navigate the education side of things. So together, we've been very lucky in advocating for uh, service and funding and uh, everything our child requires. And how, old is, your, how yeah. old is your child now, Kathy? He will be nine this summer. Okay. And so talk about the school entry process and what school was like for him in the okay. early years. Yeah. So when we started off in kindergarten, um, as, a, as a new parent, you don't necessarily know um, how different your child is until you're around other children of the same age range, and then you realize the, the vast differences. Um, so it wasn't until we showed up for, you know, a, it was like a meet your teacher, see the, see the classroom in June before we started in, in September. And it was at that point I realized we are nowhere near his typical peers. Uh, they were all able to sit quietly in a gym with their parents, whereas my son was running back and forth in that gym and in and out of everything. Uh, and when he stims, he vocally stims, which is like a scream, um, and he stims physically with his runs. So we basically just ran and screamed the entire presentation, and then we'd have to leave the gym because I was like, we're clearly interrupting everybody. And that's when we were placed into... Um, a special classroom where there was six children to three adults. So you have two educational assistants and uh, a teacher. Um, And it was more tailored to his need. Uh, And the students were also more developmentally on par with him rather than, uh, rather than his typical peers. And, And how was that? Did that, I mean, that sounds remarkable in terms of, of child, uh, teacher ratio did that is and and i want to ask too uh, by the way if you've just tuned in you're listening to the radical reverend show and i'm talking to kathy corrali verrett who is a parent of a child with autism and this is world autism awareness month um i mean that sounds remarkable and sounds excellent is is i i want to ask is that the norm for children with autism in the educational system so i'm going to say no it's not the norm um, most parents have to fight for this kind of thing. Most parents have to um, really advocate. Um, by then, by that year, we'd already been with professionals for well over a year. So I already knew the language. I already knew what to ask for. I already knew um, a lot of the things that most parents don't know when they enter the school system. So I already knew what I wanted. I already knew all of that. Now, it wasn't until I saw him with his peers that I go, oh, like, yeah, we definitely need that. And, you know, you always question, am I making the right decision? Is he going to catch up? I want him with his peers. I want him to be happy, but where will he be happy and where will he be supported? And ultimately, it came down to we needed him in that classroom because he couldn't, he would not have been able to navigate a typical classroom with his peers, with his age-appropriate peers, I guess. So where is he at now, like after many years in the school system? 
Yeah. So mm-hmm. now, and, and we've, we've moved a few times, and every year we've had to be in different schools because I've continually moved, but we're finally in a stable position where we have a, a, a good housing situation, and, um, and now we're finally at a school where we're probably going to be there again next year, thankfully. And he's in what's called an autism unit right now. So again, low ratio of students uh, to educators. So he's now in a classroom again with six uh, students, two educational assistants, and a teacher. And he's well supported in his needs. Uh, he's able to, he still stims the same way, uh, vocally and running. Um, and so he's able to do that in the classroom um, and actually get education. Uh, whereas if the last couple of years, he's been outside of that in a typical classroom, in mainstream classrooms with support, which basically means he runs the hallways uh, and, and jumps on a trampoline um, instead of accessing education. So now he's actually accessing the curriculum where he is now. We hear out, outside of your world, and um, I just, I mean, as I'm listening to your story, I'm just thinking you must be exhausted. As one parent listening to another parent, I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, are you exhausted? Like, how are you, Kathy? <laughs> Absolutely exhausted. Always exhausted. Um, it, it seems to be just the norm now. And I do, um, because of my son's needs and because of my own needs, I do regularly work out and I do eat uh, phenomenally well. So with that in mind, I do uh, my best to take care of myself so that I can be a better parent for my son. Um, and, and even with that, it's exhausting. It's utterly exhausting because you're always running at a much faster pace than a typical family would. And I was going to, I started before I got on the track of talking to you about you uh, to ask about the various kinds of therapies because we hear a lot about this from the outside looking in. Um, maybe mm-hmm. just for listeners, talk about what's available in terms of therapies out there now. Yeah. Uh, so there's many types of therapy. Um, I guess the the main ones would be like physical therapy for certain children who require that extra help. Um, we have occupational therapy, which is gross motor skills and um, fine motor skills, so learning how to write. Uh, like he's nine in grade two, uh, and he's still learning you know, how to form the letters and, and do that. Um, occupational therapy is also sensory. So uh, we do a lot of like, he'll be running around and he'll be jumping and then we'll put a foam roller on him and roll his body out. And then we'll climb a, a rock climbing wall and then we'll get in a swing. So it's kind of like all of that. And then we have speech language pathology, which is working on, the, the formation of um, formation of words. Uh, so there's still many words. We are considered uh, nonverbal, which means that uh, he's not able to communicate um, verbally. Uh, we do have what's called a PEX system, picture exchange system, where he's able to give uh, and point to different pictures of what he wants. And we are at a point where we are pushing the verbals because he's starting to get better at it. I can't always understand what he wants, so we still have the picture system there as backup. 
uh, for clarification or if he's looking for something and he can't remember the word, uh, it's right there so he can find that. Um, and then we have ABA therapy, which is Applied Behavior Analysis, where um, it's basically understanding that, uh, like, it's a, and it's a way to teach children how to learn. So um, if you are trying to teach them, like, different emotions, you might point to different pictures and be like, which one is this? Is it happy or is it sad? Which one, or which one is happy and which one is sad? And then he has to try and figure out which one is happy and which one is sad. Um, or like di the differentiating, differentiating cat versus dog. You know, that took a long time to learn that there is a difference. And so just one-on-one -on -one teaching him through positive reinforcement what it is. Uh, and it's very play-based. So uh, it doesn't look like he's actually doing work, but he'll be walking around uh, playing and then he's rewarded with a high reinforcer. Um, through ABA, we've also learned how to say my way. So if say I'm like, okay, five more minutes and we're going to get ready for bed, he can say like my way as in I want extra time with his tablet or extra time doing something. And he has the ability to actually say that now. Um, and this kind of gets him school ready. Um, so when he gets into a classroom and the teacher says, okay, let's go to the, our desk and do some work, um, he's able to follow a simple command like that. Whereas a typical child would just do that, he's going to be like, no, thanks, I'm good. <laughs> so understanding that, you know, in certain environments, we do have to learn. In certain environments, we do have to, to be that, to, to um, learn how to communicate and, and express ourselves. And so that's what he does through ABA. And also, they were the ones who taught him how to use the PEC system to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and although we're not at a point where we use a tablet for communication, there are many children who use what's called AAC devices um, to communicate with the outside world. And, and that is, ABA is the one that teaches both the children and the parents how to use that so the child can communicate. Speaking here to Kathy corelli uh on the Radical Reverend Show, and we're speaking uh, in the midst of World Autism Awareness Month about autism and what's it's like to live with it, um, and, and I mean, I'll be speaking to someone who does, but also to parent and be in a family with somebody who is on the spectrum, too. Kathy, you work, uh, as I mentioned, with the, with the board, um, uh, not on the board, but with them uh, mm -hmm. for the Ontario Autism Coalition. What's the incidence now of autism? Because it seems so... So, so many more children seem to have, be on the spectrum now than, for example, when I went to school. Is that just fallacy or what's going on? Okay, so absolutely, yes. Um, I'm not 100% positive on that uh, number, but I believe it's either 50 or now 47. One out of 47 children are now being born with autism. Um, and I, there's two schools of thought um, and I would absolutely love a professional to step in here because I'm a, I'm a parent, not a professional. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, there is the, uh, many of us who have children with autism also have our own little, uh, I'll just say neurodivergencies, uh, whether they're known, whether they're not known, whether it's just a little speck on the spectrum uh, a little bit of the tism, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, I, I like the the term a speck on the uh, a speck on the tism. Uh, kind of kind of flows with someone like me because I don't identify as somebody with or somebody I don't identify as autistic, but I have many autistic tendencies and I do have uh, I do have neurodivergent um, diagnoses. So it does fit for me. Um, and I know many people say, you know, call them autistic, but I am a person who identifies as a person first, not my diagnosis. So that's just the way I prefer to be referred to as. Um, and and uh, that one in 47 to, or 50 number, is that mm-hmm. going up? Um, what, you know, it, are getting, we seeing increased numbers or what? So in, I believe it's increasing in numbers. So people who have a touch of the tism would have children who also have more profound needs. So you've got that where, where parents who may not be identified until later on in life are having more children who become on the spectrum. Uh, and then you have, um, uh, what was the other factor? Parents and... And in terms of are, numbers of children, because it, it just seems... It seems so much more widespread. Uh, oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Thank you, yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the, the 50s and 60s, you didn't see it because anybody on the spectrum was kind of put away, like uh, in institutions. So you didn't see it growing up because they were taken away from their parents and institutionalized, whereas we've gotten away from that. So in the later 60s and 70s, we are introducing them into society and giving them therapies so that way they can live with us and stay in the home as opposed to being taken away. So that's why you may not have seen it before. Uh, Why it's so prevalent now, I'm not entirely sure, but that would be more of a a thing for a professional. Mm -hmm. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for sharing with us. And uh, and thank you for being a parent who loves her child uh, and is is going to the wall for them in many, many ways. Uh, and I know you're not alone. Uh, I know that what what's the number, 55,000, uh, ch- you know, children with autism are on the wait mm-hmm. list now for 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 therapies in, in this province. So all of you out there, um, thank you for what you do day to day to day for our children, our children. Thank you. Thank you. And at this point, it's now closer to, it's more than 60,000 Is it really children. now more than 60,000? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, okay. Something like 63,000. I'm not sure exactly the number, but it's up there now. And it's, every day it grows. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. thank you for bringing the personal touch to the story. Thanks, Kathy. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. And we're going to turn in studio now. Uh, Curtis uh, Curtis Jordan, trustee, elected um, a person who has been living with autism all his life. Uh, still young, though, under 30, but um, but accomplished an incredible amount. Um, you listened to Kathy. Curtis, what are your reactions to what you heard? Well, I mean, Kathy is a spectacular parent, a spectacular activist, and someone who I feel such an honor and privilege to call a very good friend and someone who uh, I know throughout uh, the duration of her life will continue in phenomenal advocacy for all individuals on the spectrum and uh, 
Uh, I, you know, I thank Kathy for being such an amazing parent to her son. She is an absolute positive inspiration. And I think the stories that she brings, because I, I know this family uh, very personally, uh, you know, I see that. And I mean, it's just like, I have so much hope for, you know, with parents like Kathy, there is so much hope for young people on the spectrum. There is a lot of hope for people on the spectrum. Um, and specifically in the advocacy that Kathy has been doing, um, you know what, we're like, it's not if, it's when we're going to get this government or the next government to listen and fund these services um, under OHIP. So, yes, yeah. uh, absolutely. Um, so speaking to Curtis uh, Jordan, who, who you know, has has lived with that diagnosis for a long time. Your experience was not the same as her son's. Can we, can you take us back to, first of all, when you first knew you were different and what that was like and your school experience? So I've never known not being different. I like from as far as I can remember, I was very different. I remember the meltdowns. Um, I remember um, not being able to communicate and not being terribly young not being able to communicate and I remember just a lot of the trauma of not being able to have my voice heard because I really didn't have much uh, of a voice and I remember going through significant amounts of therapy um, specifically OT and ABA and being able to learn like silly things like being able to hold a pencil things that we all take for granted and being able to hold that pencil and eventually being able to hold that pen I mean those were little victories and I feel so so lucky to have had uh, those successes and you know but even still like in our school system when I was a kid you know teachers would say you know he can't be stopped like my behavior was really 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 bad uh, I remember um, I would just have these horrific meltdowns there would be a smell in the classroom um, for instance, uh, I remember being, I think, four or five years old and someone at lunchtime brought a cheese slice into the classroom. And that was a huge sensory issue, just the smell of it. Uh, and it was probably 30, 40 feet away from me. But like this heightened sense of smell that I had, I had such a horrific meltdown. I probably crashed down every desk in the classroom, was ripping down posters from walls. And I like I was... Uh, if I'm correct, I was actually expelled from that school. I was like a little, little kid being expelled from school. And like I went through so many different schools. And of course, you know, I was born and raised to uh, a single mom who uh, was very, very, very poor. We didn't have um, the money for a lot of resources. Um, and so I knew I was different. I didn't exactly know how I was different until I was about 11 or 12 when finally um, a, a psychologist was able to kind of explain the diagnosis. By that point in time, I was uh, quite verbal. Actually, I, by that point, I, <laughs> I was definitely not a quiet person. I think all I did was talk by that point. And so help me God, I haven't stopped since. Uh, but uh, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a gift of the Ottawa Valley gab. But uh, so, anyways, but um, you know, finally, when I was old enough to kind of understand the gravity of what my diagnosis was, um, I was able to realize that you know my life um, might not 
be the same uh, as all my peers. And I remember, I, like, that was a lot of depression set in. And I was young. And I would think to myself, um, you know, what is my life going to look at? And, you know, when I won the election on October 24th, 2022, my, laugh, my life kind of flashed before my eyes when I'm remembering being that little kiddo who couldn't be stopped. You know, I couldn't be stopped from being a complete uh, horrible little child um, causing so much disruption to an education system that was not designed to help me, uh, to a mother who had to give up all her career aspirations because she never knew when she was getting the call from school to pick me up. And, you know, we had to move around a lot, very similarly, too, um, for a variety of different reasons. Yeah, speak, um, let's yeah. deep dive into that a little bit. Why, yeah. like, so you got it, it, was this just getting expelled from schools? Was that what was going on, or? Um, so, I mean, I, I think I only had two or three actual expulsions. I mean, that's um, two or, only two or three. <laughs> I mean, this is for a child. This is, you know, um, it, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking all about autism today on the Radical Reverend Sh Show, and we're, I'm talking to Curtis Jordan, who's lived with it for all of his 29 years. So, um, yes, uh, two or three expulsions when you're a little kid, that's a lot. That's I would lot. say, and, and, and many more suspensions. I mean, so, like, basically, um, what would often happen is if my behavior got bad, if I had just a basic meltdown, um, my mother would be getting the call. And whether that be a call at work, whether that be a call at home, I um, mean, my mother was expected to be there pronto. Of course, my mother didn't have a car, so uh, she would have to be uh, running the Boston Marathon, so to speak, over to the school to make sure that uh, that I was picked up. And, um, you know, that was often, uh, that was a very, very frequent occurrence in my young life. And, uh, like, that was very, very traumatic, being told that, you know, my right to education is just not really there um, because I have, you know, behavioral problems and challenges and I'm not able to communicate and all of those things that, like, I, I remember thinking, well, the other kids, you know, they're, they're still allowed to go to school. You know, thinking to myself, you know, like, you know, like it was, I just, I always felt like I was a horrible human being. And, you know, and I just, I can remember always, you know, like I, this one teacher specifically who's like, you know, he can't be stopped in what she said to my mother and, you know, staff belittling my mother, you know, and uh, specifically male staff in the education system belittling my mother because she was a low income single mother who uh, did not have a big fancy career and she had a child on the spectrum and there's no father in the house. So, you know, it must be all her fault, you know, that mentality. And uh, I remember, um, you know, as I got a little bit older, uh, you know, as things eventually got better. Uh, and yeah, I definitely couldn't be stopped. There must be, uh, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes, but there must have been a lot of bullying going on too. I mean, bullying sadly is a part of a lot of school experiences, but for a child on the spectrum, it must be even more so. And and later, of course, as an out gay man too, so there's that factor in. But talk about the bullying. 
Well, I mean, definitely being on the, the bullying I received as a kid on the spectrum definitely prepared me for the bullying that I was going to receive as an openly uh, gay man and the bullying I received as a publicly elected official and during my campaign. Yeah, I mean, so so that what there was bullying in your school? A lot, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And you heard Kathy talk about her experience with her son and, you know, these... Uh, they sounded incredible ratios of, you know, very few children, almost as many staff as children kind of. Cl- was that ever the case for you? Um, so there was a very brief period um, when I was in my early teens um, when my mental health became a lot worse than my autism. Like I was seriously depressed, suicidal, the works, and uh, I was able to get in for one year like exactly one year into a program that had that ratio that was a mental health uh, treatment program operated in collaboration with the board of education uh, section 23 program they're called now back then it was called section 18 because i'm old and uh but it was basically a program where it actually had those ratios the predominant um diagnosis of students within that program were like serious mental health problems but my mother was able to fight and fight and fight to get me into that program because um she very well knew that at least I might be able to have one year of education where I might actually learn something because at that point in time I could barely read and my math was at a grade two level and I was in my teens by this point so we're going to take a break there and do a little bit of a station ID uh, and uh, come back I'm going to keep talking to Curtis about you know, this incredible life that he's led and the fact that he's an elected official now and how he got there. Um, It is World Autism Awareness Month, so we're asking you to be aware and to check into it the same way we are here on the Radical Reverend Show. Um, And you're welcome to call in, too, if uh, you want to share your experience. It's 416-946-7800. We'll be back in a flash.
And we are back here on the Radical Reverend Show, very live radio. And so thank you for being part of listener land out there. And by the way, uh, this show is also podcast after a few days live on air. Uh, wherever you get to your podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever, whatever. Uh, and always, always interested in what you have to say. Uh, so send your comments. I'm easy to read. Sherry DeNovo, C-H-E-R-I. D-I-N-O-V-O, all over social media. So just, you know, email me, um, send a message, let me know what you're thinking, feeling, ideas, always welcome it, and I'll always respond. Uh, It's World Autism Awareness Month, and that's what we're talking about here, Um, doing really quite a deep dive. Uh, If you missed her, we had uh, a a wonderful parent on early talking about what it's like to be in a family and to raise a child who is on the spectrum, and now, um, and being very generous with this time and reality, is Curtis Jordan, who's a school trustee with the Upper Canada District School Board, elected and the first in Canada to be elected, uh, someone on the spectrum. So we're talking about lived experience here. Uh, So Curtis, we got to your teen years before we we took the break. And by the way, the break was Nicole Willis singing Feeling Free. Um, And that's what we're talking about, (laughs) feeling free. Mm -hmm. So you're a teenager. You're just learning how to read and write uh, Mm -hmm. and do math. uh, what then happened? You mm. know, when was the breakthrough? What, what so, mm-hmm. I mean, you know what? Like, the breakthrough was, like, it took many, many, many years. Like, and I, like, not to toot my own horn, but to toot, um, I had a really good attitude, um, which, I mean, a lot of folks on the spectrum really do have a great attitude, um, but I really wanted to succeed in this life. And so I was doing everything I possibly could Uh, So, you know, like with respect to literacy, believe it or not, it's still actually something I struggle with a little bit. Um, I've really prevailed over the years and I basically kind of took a lot of these things upon myself to teach myself um, how to read, to teach myself how to kind of act like my peers, um, to teach myself um, to be able to uh, function in certain situations. So using some of the skills that I got from therapy when I was a kid as well as a teenager and like the amount of OT that I have been with through occupational occupational therapy therapy. Mm -hmm. apparently you know that's one of the things in our special education system we use so many gosh darn acronyms so I do apologize to the listeners listening if I use any acronym Sherry um please feel free to give me a smack on the (laughs) wrist (laughs) Uh, if uh, not literally but um but uh because I use way too many of those. I do apologize. But um, yeah, so basically, um, like a lot of the occupational therapy and CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy um, that I went through in my early teens and that mixture of that as well as the ABA uh, principles that were that I uh, went through uh, when I was younger as well as those that were practiced uh, in my teen years uh, through some of the therapy that I received. Um, well, you're certainly a success story for all of that. You're very kind to say that. Um, it, it, so, I mean, these therapies work, obviously. Oh, completely and utterly. Mm-hmm. So make a difference. So continue. Sorry, I just oh. wanted to make Gosh. that point. Mm-hmm. You're very, very kind, Sherry. But uh, so as I got a little bit older, um, like I still, like even even if we go back, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, I was definitely not where I am today. I was very, very awkward. Um, I mean, I'm 
frankly, I think I'm still a little bit awkward, but a lot of people tell me that I'm really not as awkward as I think I am. But, uh, you know, I like there was this awkwardness. There was this phobia of being around other people, um, the sensory issues and the meltdowns. I still struggle with meltdowns. Um, I've gotten very, very good at being able to kind of um, channel them. Well, you're not ripping posters off walls and turning desks over anymore, are you? Thank God for small <laughs> miracles, Reverend Sherry. <laughs> I uh, I thank God every day that I'm not uh, doing that. Although, you know what? I can kind of, like, I was at a protest a few years ago where I kind of got a little bit, uh, I, I was yelling a little bit. So maybe, uh, you know, activists and I'm protesting, maybe that was actually a better channel than I thought for those, uh, for those meltdowns. But, I mean, you know what? I've learned how to channel those meltdowns a lot more effectively and how to find that little bit of peace and serenity to get the heck away from a situation that is causing me a meltdown and allowing myself to have those meltdown moments because like if I actually allow myself to do that um and not stifling it um like these are things that I cannot allow myself to stifle because that just like that just builds up and builds up and builds up so yeah I do have little meltdowns but they're usually very 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 calm and it's basically me just going and taking the opportunity to get away from the situation and relaxing like meditating that was actually something that really like in my late teens that was something that I learned uh, that mindfulness and meditation that worked so incredibly well in those times of meltdowns. So I feel really lucky because that was one of the last things that like I really, really struggled with. Talking to Curtis Jordan here on the uh, Radical Reverend Show and, and World Autism Awareness Month. We're talking um, to Curtis because he has lived experience because he is on the spectrum and uh, despite that um, has achieved, you know, was first elected person uh, in Canada um, as a trustee uh, in his area. So, um, so that's quite, quite a leap from, you know, not being able to read and write and do math. Uh, so talk about getting into activism. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about activism around the, uh, on the autism front because all my time at Queen's Park, this was a major issue. Mm -hmm. All my time at Queen's Park, that was under a liberal government. Now we have a conservative government. Nothing seems to be getting better. So uh, was it autism that turned you into an activist? Yeah, definitely. My lived experience uh, on the spectrum, um, as well as the fact that my diagnosis kept my mother and I in the trap of poverty my entire childhood. Uh, because of the lack of funding of our education system, uh, my mother was not able to build any sort of career for herself because she was sitting by the phone waiting for the school to call to pick me up. Um, so that kept us in the trap of poverty. So I did a lot of uh, autism advocacy and tremendous anti-poverty advocacy uh, over the span of my career um, and, you know, through a variety of different organizations. And like, Talk about that. Talk about like ACORN. Yeah. Like yeah, ACORN so is, a, is an incredible organization. An incredible anti-poverty so, organization. Because not everybody's aware of ACORN. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So ACORN, uh, the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, is an organization that I was involved in for many, many, many years. And uh, it's an organization that uh, empowers uh, members with lived experience in poverty 
Um, and I remember um, when I was in my early teens, um, we had a neighbor that was involved with Acorn, and she thought it would be really interesting to get my mother and I uh, involved. And so we both got involved. I got involved significantly more uh, than my mother did, and uh, it was a really interesting experience. Um, the first time I lobbied a politician, I was in my like I was, I think, 17 years old. And, uh, you know, going in, meeting with cabinet ministers, meeting with uh, members of provincial parliament, um, meeting with uh, federal uh, officials and, and a lot of local officials too. And, you know, having that opportunity to really learn about the way the system actually works and being part of a, a group, a, an organization of people really advocating to change the systems. And so I became quite uh quite a prominent like quite a, a talented uh lobbyist with a lot of lived experience and uh a lot of the advocacy that i did and proposing changes and really delving deep into what are the issues what are the solutions where can we move forward where are the pain points and where is the consultation where's the lived experience being empowered and what i will say with respect to empowering those with lived experience um we have we are we have so far to go we have so far to go and like as a first elected official on the spectrum in canada um like you know it's very unprecedented but like people don't like me don't get elected to public office and you know there and it seems that uh you know those with lived experience get really shut out and ignored even within the non-for-profit sector in organizations that are helping folks on the spectrum like almost none of them have any staff who are on the spectrum, any members of their boards of directors who are on the spectrum. Um, you know, like it seems that like there's so, it more than just seems that like it's apt. There is so much work that we still have to do to empower that lived experience, to empower that voice. And I really look at it very similar to the LGBT movement where, you know, individuals finally, once individual LGBT, uh, individuals identifying as LGBT were getting elected, that's when things really started to shift into change and that real progress begin to happen and it's, I'm keeping my fingers eyes and toes crossed that that is going to be what happens like I was the first I may have been the first person on the spectrum elected uh in this country um and so help me god I'll be the first of many and I think this is where we're going to see a lot of the change because you know what when, yeah and just just to, to jump in here uh we're still with teenage Curtis yeah. in your story, Kurt, speaking to Curtis Jordan here on the Radical Reverend Show with lived experience on the spectrum with autism in Autism Awareness Month. Um, uh, so take us through, because you started as an activist in organizations like ACORN, but you didn't stop there. No. You also became an executive. You became what you're, a you're asking for. Yeah. So take us through a little bit of your resume before you got elected, okay? Yeah. So I had the opportunity to uh, do a lot of work within the nonprofit housing sector, and uh, I had the opportunity, like my career really grew within that area and within uh, managing housing co-ops, and uh, then, you know, I burnt out a little bit from the nonprofit sector because, um, like, the really nice thing was earlier in my career, 
um, I was able to take a lot of jobs that just frankly no one else wanted to do that did not require a lot of education. I wanted to build a career for myself and I knew that school was just not a thing for me. Like I finished school, like I have barely any education, um, which uh, I, I think I might be actually one of the first trustees in the province uh, to actually not even have high school education. But, uh, you know, I, um, uh, but so basically uh, when I got uh, into my late teens and when basically I had uh, been expelled from another school because they could not accommodate me, this time it wasn't even for behavior. This time it was because they just could not provide me the education support that I needed. And I was getting kicked out of different classes um, because my handwriting was so bad and I was not understanding the curriculum and I would have so many gosh darn questions because I just didn't understand and of course that would lead to little meltdowns but by that point I they were a little bit more under control but um you know as I realized that um you know school was not going to be a thing for me I wanted to start my career I was able to start my career working in different nonprofits, working in the nonprofit housing sector and as I grew my career a little bit um I had the opportunity when I was in my mid-20s to be the executive director of a nonprofit housing corporation which was a lot of fun um and then uh, through that uh, I've had a variety of different opportunities including um, the opportunity to uh, to run for public office. And uh, you worked in the private sector as well. Yes, mm -hmm. I did work in the private sector, mm -hmm. which was really, really, really fun. Um, I do actually, I... You know, as much of a socialist as I am, I, you know what, there, there is a private sector. It, it exists. We know that very, very well. And and, I, I mean, what's amazing, in. Curtis, is listening to your story is, you know, and after hearing Kathy and what it's, you know, what it was like for you and what it's like for her son in terms of behavioral issues mm -hmm. and school just not being a great fit, even with a lot of intervention, um, intervention that you didn't have enough of, obviously, mm -hmm. um, for your story, uh, that you've achieved so much. I mean, you're, you know, 29. There are a lot of 29-year-olds who haven't earned six-figure salaries, you know, in the private sector that haven't been in executive positions and so, uh, and that haven't been elected to public office at your age. I mean, that's unusual for somebody with without autism, never mind somebody with. Um, so I, like, so I just deep dive. So, so you talk about your own motivation there, and you're, you're like, if you had to kind of enumerate a few things that made that possible, and what other people need, so that people listening out there who may be parents with children on the spectrum, who listen to your story and find it inspiring, and say, okay, so how do we get from where we are right now with a ten-year-old who is turning over desks and ripping posters mm -hmm. off walls to you? Yeah. What would you say? What What are the key factors? Um, what I say to that 10-year-old who's ripping down posters, who's struggling in the school system, what I say to that 10-year-old, it's from the bottom of my heart, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that our education system is not providing you the support that you need so that you are comfortable in your school environment so, and I'm speaking directly to that 10-year-old ripping down posters and having a horrible time in our school system. What I say is, um, you know, parents, please do not give up on your children. Um, and also, the really, really, really big thing is that road less traveled. 
it you know the journey of someone on the spectrum uh for so many of us it's not your typical journey and really focusing on that strengths based approach what are my child's strengths what are my child's weaknesses well you know we have a diagnosis for that but where are my child's strengths and how can we cultivate that into something beautiful and i see so many families who have kiddos on the spectrum who are incredibly intelligent, especially in areas like art, especially in areas like art. And that is who, that is like, I, I think of so many of these families who, you know what, these are channels to really look into with respect to not just um, vocationally, but recreationally finding that passion. Um, and also the really, really big thing that my mother was influential in helping me develop were a lot of those life skills, specifically like things like living independently, focusing on that independent living piece from a very, very young age, like as young, like literally there's no such thing as starting too young on that. And like, I've lived on my own for years. I own my own home. I, uh, I have a little apartment building that I own too. And, you know, I've renovated uh, both properties of my own two hands. Like I feel really, really, really lucky where I am. But I mean, I think of those base. I think right back to those basic life skills of learning how um, to live on my own. Also learning about money. If your child is capable of learning a little bit about money, it would surprise you, even if they're not very good in math, learning about money. Interestingly for me, I was terrible in math, but I was able to learn about money from a very, very early age. I know I'm very left wing, but I'm shockingly cheap, very miserly. <laughs> uh, and we just, we don't have many minutes left. Uh, World Autism Month folks out there, in listener land, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show, and that's her theme for the day. Uh, and speaking to Curtis Jordan has been an absolute delight and inspiration to see uh, someone who, you know, really the system didn't help much at all um, do what you've done. What are we going to do to change the system right now? Um, you heard Kathy say there are now over 60,000. I mean, this number is shocking of children who are not getting the basic supports that they need, who are on the spectrum, and more are being born every day. Um, what, is, what should the government of Ontario be doing right now? The government of Ontario should be absolutely positively covering these services under OHIP. You should not have to take out a loan or mortgage your house to get your child um, the therapy that they deserve and the special education support that they deserve. Uh, and what else? Um, what we need to be doing is empowering those with lived experience to be playing a leadership role uh, in the governance of autism services in this province. So, so again, and in nonprofits, as you said, that mm -hmm. are supposedly helping, dealing, they should have people with autism on their staff, right? Absolutely, positively. Yeah. And so this takes money, and that's why the government doesn't want to do it, of course. You know that. It's I mean, pay now or pay later. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, say a little bit more about that. So either we're going to pay more in health care now or we're going to be paying later by uh, having to drastically increase the number of group home spaces for individuals who will never be capable of living independently. Um, in addition to that, the homelessness rates like our shelters are full of folks on the spectrum. And I mean, like in our like in our housing wait lists are full of parents with kiddos on the spectrum who like are struggling. Like imagine like. 
I bet you the majority of our listeners listening are struggling in a system that is heinously unaffordable for housing. But imagine being someone on the spectrum trapped in poverty, which the majority of us are, um, who like the housing system, uh, like our shelters are full of folks on the spectrum. And that's just going to continue more and more and more. Whereas a lot of these individuals, they have great talent, they have great skills. If they're able to get this basic health care that they need to be able to um, be functional and successful as they can be in life, that is going to save us huge money uh, later. So it's really that pay now or pay later piece. And frankly, I'd rather pay now. Thank you very much. Well, to save children. We're talking Absolutely. about children. Save children and the next generation of leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Curtis has been such an inspiration speaking to you. Thank you. Um, I, I'm thinking, too, of the parents here as well, um, the Cathy's of the world who are exhausted all the time, as she described herself. I mean, that probably describes a lot of parents of young children, but but imagine if your child is not does not you know, carry a diagnosis, is not on the spectrum. Imagine adding that to what you're going through and what that what that's like in parenting. What do we do for the parents? What we need to be doing for the parents is a lot more support for these parents. Especially a lot of these parents are madly on the spectrum themselves. There needs to be major mental health supports directed for these parents, significant increases in respite uh, services. Um, as well as, uh, and one of the really, really big things for these parents, majority of them are trapped in poverty um, because of this. So we need to be making sure that our education system is actually providing real resources for these students so that parents can actually go out to work if they're able to. And in addition to that, we need to extend the definition of disability under the ODSP Act to include parents with a child with a severe disability because so many of these autism moms are having to be on general welfare, which we know in this prior Ontario works. Mm-hmm. Pardon, pardon me. Um, Ontario works, which I mean, we know how little that pays in this province. ODSP does not pay much better. But um, what we need to be doing is extending, um, we need to be um, extending this definition because this is seriously uh, very, very problematic for so many of these parents. There's so much that we can be doing. You're a trustee now. Um, What are you doing? right now for, for, for children in your school system? Mm-hmm. So, well, you know what? Not long after I was elected, uh, our board made the largest increase uh, in special education spending uh, among the largest in the province's history. Uh, not long after I was elected, we are doing a lot of work on equity initiatives and special education because we want to make sure that no one falls behind. Real equity begins when everyone is given a level chance. And uh, so we're really building a system that uh, we're, we're trying to build the best system in North America. And uh, in addition to that, um, what uh, like I get contacted from one of the most lobbied trustees in the province of Ontario and uh, specifically from autism parents whose children are absolutely positively struggling in the system and so I'm able to really um, point parents in the right direction which and for a lot of these parents contacting me like they're told call this guy like he knows his stuff Um, they're not told that I am an elected official on the spectrum there you know and so I talk with parents like every day sometimes multiple times in a day who are like you know my child is and and even parents from different boards of education who just like they are completely banging their head against a brick wall uh, with advocating and getting resources for their kids and so speaking to me 
I think I've given a lot of parents a lot of hope that, you know what, your child, your child might very well be me one day because God knows I was very much like your child. And uh, so that is like one of the most rewarding experiences. And I actually had um, a parent contact me a few days ago who actually, and I'm getting full clumped at this, actually had said that um, the advocacy and the direction that I was able to point her in um, saved her young teen's life. Like, honestly... And it doesn't get better than that. It does not get better than that. What a privilege. Even speaking on Parliament Hill, which you, yeah. you just did not too long ago. It was a lot of fun. And I got a standing ovation in, in the provincial legislature a couple of weeks ago. So lots of fun stuff going on. It's been a really fun month. Curtis, we have to stop. Could go on forever. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Also My thank, pleasure. Uh, Kathy Corrali uh, Verrett, who was on earlier, uh, and to all the parents out there and families uh, who have a member who has autism and all the children and young adults mm -hmm. who have a diagnosis, there's lots of hope and hope this gives you some. Uh, and again, yours, I'm signing off now, Sherry Tenovo, uh, Radical Reverend on World Autism Awareness Month. Till next time on the Radical Reverend Show. Trouble so hard, don't nobody know my trouble for God, don't nobody know my trouble for God.